Hey, I've got some exciting news for you. For nearly a decade, the Social Media Marketing Society has been helping marketers like you to keep up with the changing times. This is our private community just for marketers, and the doors are open right now. When you join, you get access to ongoing training and become part of a welcoming community of marketers who are just like you. Learn more at smmarketingsociety.com. Again, smmarketingsociety.com. Welcome to the Social Media Marketing Podcast, helping you navigate the social media jungle. And now, here's your host, Michael Stelzner. Hello, hello, hello. Thank you so much for joining me for the Social Media Marketing Podcast, brought to you by socialmediaexaminer.com. I'm your host, Michael Stelzner, and this is the podcast for marketers and business owners who want to know what works with social media. I am super excited about today's show. I'll be joined by Dan Gingis, and we'll explore tips and tools for supporting customers and prospects using social media. And by the way, if you want to reach me, email podcast at socialmediaexaminer.com. Let's transition over to this week's brand new discovery. Helping you stay alive in a social jungle, here's this week's survival tip. This week, I'm joined by Eric Fisher with a brand new discovery. What'd you find, Eric? This week, I found a really cool Google Chrome plugin for Gmail. It's called Tiny Mails. Tiny Mails, as in tiny people? <laughs> no, not tiny men's, not tiny men's, tiny males, like tiny emails. Oh, okay, got Little, it. Short emails. So, so, And that's the point of the app is, is it wants to give you the ability to keep track of how many words and even what the read time is going to be for your email as you're writing it. So that's exactly what it does. It gives you a character count of words at the bottom as well as then a little, you know, for example, the in their um, in their display in when you go to install this, it says that the email that's right there that looks about a paragraph or more, it's about 547 words, and it says it's going to take you about two minutes and 50, 53 seconds to read it. So is the theory here that if you can keep your emails concise that you're going to get a better response from the people you're sending it to, and this is like a tool to help you keep it simple? Yeah, exactly. Their whole goal, they say, is to encourage brevity and make it to where, you know, hey, if you know that you're only sending somebody a minute or a two minute email that it's going to take them to read instead of like a five to 10 minute email, that hopefully there's a better chance they'll read the whole thing. Now, this is just a tool that's seen on the composing side. It's not like it says this email will take two minutes and 15 seconds for you to read or anything like that, right? No, although that would be cool to kind of fake somebody out and say, hey, this will only take you a minute to read. Maybe you can just write that at the beginning of your emails. I don't know. There's another trick. But anyway. So what is it as you're writing, there's like a little indicator that shows up on the screen? Yeah. So in Gmail, you know how there's the blue send button at the bottom. Right. This extension adds a little counter below that that will tell you how many words you have in your email as well as the uh, supposed read time for the email. Perfect. Where do we where do we find this thing? You go to chrome.google.com slash web store and type in the words, all one word, tiny mails. That's T-I-N-Y-M-A-I-L-S. That's it. Perfect. Thank you so much for bringing this to us, Eric. You're welcome. I was recently at Social Media Marketing World 
and I had a chance to connect with some of our best customers. A lot of them listen to our podcast, just like you do. Not everyone knows what I'm about to share with you. We do something special here at Social Media Examiner. The best of the best of the guests that you hear on the Social Media Marketing Podcast not only teach at our conference, but they're also part of our secret society called the Social Media Marketing Society. Each month, our top tier guests who have been on my show are invited to train inside our society for an exclusive group of marketers who are just like you. The training is designed to help you go from being a passive consumer of content to a marketer who is in active learning mode. So if you're ready to make real progress with your marketing, you're a perfect fit for the Social Media Marketing Society. Join us by visiting smmarketingsociety.com. We've got a really big sale that is ending very soon, so don't delay. Again, visit smmarketingsociety.com and join today. Helping you simplify your social safari, here's this week's expert guide. This week, I'm excited to be joined by Dan Gingas. If you don't know who Dan is, he's the author of the book, Winning at Social Customer Care. He's the head of global social media at McDonald's, and he's the host of the podcast, Focus on Customer Service. Dan, welcome to the show. Well, thank you, Mike. Really great to be back with you. Super awesome to have you. Today, Dan and I are going to focus in on social customer care. We're going to talk about tools to make it easier and a heck of a lot more. So, um, Dan, let me back up for a second. Well, actually, I guess I'm not really backing up because this is my first question, but why should marketers, social media marketers who are listening right now, even really care about social care, social customer care, social customer service? Why should they care about this? Well, the first thing I would say, Mike, is all you got to do is watch the news and you know what's been going on in social media recently and the fact that offline experiences don't stay offline for very long anymore, particularly when they're bad. Mm -hmm. And they come online, they get discussed on social media, things blow up. And marketers have to care about this because they're the ones that are sort of manning the wheel of the social media um, handles. And you know, the other thing that marketers tend to miss is that every time we go out there with some marketing, whether it's organic or paid, but especially if it's paid, we draw in customer service inquiries because people see our brand in their feed and they remember, oh, yeah, I wanted to ask them a question or I'm having a problem with X. And the marketing is actually the reminder to comment on that. So they're very much they very much play together and, you know, marketers have got to be aware of what happens when you put more marketing on there. And the answer is you get more people talking back to you. And that can be a really good thing uh, because we like engaging with our customers. But for marketers to say, hey, customer service isn't my thing, that's somebody else's job is really kind of missing the point. Very, very cool. Um, so I know that we have a huge diversity of listeners ranging from small businesses to large enterprises. And a lot of, especially on the smaller size businesses, um, they're kind of wearing lots of hats. And um, But the people at the big businesses, I would imagine, like the one you work for, there's di different departments. So one of the questions that I've got is kind of who is the person or the ideal person to be doing social customer care? Um, and if it's everyone, you know, talk about that a little bit because I'd love to hear. I think the ideal person or people is somebody with a customer service bent. And what I mean by that is 
somebody who's naturally empathetic, who wants to talk to customers and solve their problems, who isn't going to get upset when some customer's angry and yelling things, you know, who can remain calm, et cetera. And it isn't, it doesn't have to be everybody that's involved. And especially in a smaller company, that's not always possible, but the, the people that are best at this role are people that like talking to other people. And if you look at the kinds of things that social customer care agents are being asked to do these days, a lot of it blurs the line with what marketers like to call community management, right? How do you tell the difference between somebody who is commenting on your really cool sponsorship with the NFL versus somebody who's asking you a question about a product or service that you offer versus somebody who's really angry at you because you screwed up? And that line is not as clear as it once was. I think when we first started in social media and the marketing department tended to own all of social media, they were pretty okay with the first two, right? They loved talking about football and they were all right answering questions. Then all of a sudden they started getting either complaints or questions that were too complicated to answer. And they said, oh my gosh, we got to call somebody because I don't know this. And that's when the customer service people got into the game and those are the people that are trained to know about your products and services, to know when things go wrong and how to fix them. And then most importantly, to know how to talk to other people, which is a really, really important skill. And I would add one other thing, which is that today it's not just talking to other people. It is writing to other people. So so writing skills are really important. And, and probably at some point you're going to have video skills are going to be really important as, as that's where service kind of rolls along with marketing. I know that uh, you threw out the phrase social customer care agent. And what came to mind when you said that phrase was some bigger companies, they have call centers, obviously, right? Where sometimes they're salespeople and sometimes they're tech support people. But social customer care agent sounds different. How would you define that? It is a customer care person. I mean, it's a, it is a person in a call center, usually for a larger company. Um, you know, a smaller company, they might be answering the phones and answering Twitter. But it is somebody who's trained in customer service. And so those people tend to live in the call center in a larger organization. And that's good because that means they receive the same training as a phone rep or an email rep or a chat rep. And they understand the same things about the company. Um, and can hopefully provide a consistent experience to a customer no matter which channel they choose to talk to us on. You know, you've seen probably examples before of people calling up to a company and talking to an agent and not liking the answer. And so they go to Twitter and they try to get a different answer. And the biggest mistake a company can do is give you a different answer in Twitter because <laughs> then you're going to teach everybody just go to Twitter for the answer instead of calling. Right. Um, and so usually it's a person that's trained in service and that, you know, if you needed to, you could move across any other uh, service channel that you'd need. A lot of uh, a lot of marketing is moving towards automation. And in particular, we're starting to see bots like messenger bots. And I don't know if I'm getting into a territory that you're not familiar with, but, you know, on Facebook, I had ordered flowers from a major company and uh, I had a question about my flowers and I Facebook messaged them the question and they thought I wanted to take an order and there was no way around it. <laughs> and it completely infuriated me. And um, what's your response to bots today? serving in a customer support role? And is there going to be a day where bots might be doing it well and might actually be useful? 
I definitely think there's a role for bots. Um, I had a similar experience with a major flower company where, except I was going to the bot to buy flowers, right? Because I wanted to test it out. And the ordering process was actually pretty nice. It, it walked you through each step, you know, almost like you were on the website, except it kind of held your hand. And then I got to a point where um, I didn't understand something. They were offering me three delivery dates and I wanted a different delivery date and I didn't see any way around it. And so I typed help and the bot understood that I wanted to talk to customer service, except when I said, yes, I want to talk to customer service, it said, I'm sorry, customer service is closed. It's like, great, why did you ask me then? <laughs> uh, and then what, it became even weirder after that because a moment after that, Samantha, who was a customer service rep, joined the conversation and said, how can I help you? And I'm like, I thought you were closed. Like, the bot just told me you were closed. And I literally then ended up having a conversation simultaneously with Samantha and the bot. I mean, it was weird. <laughs> and so that is no good. And by the way, this was one that, Zuckerberg held up as an example of being a really great messenger bot. Exactly. So I think we have a long way to go. That being said, I think the best places for messenger bots are, are two different things. The first is to answer very basic and repetitive questions, right? Do you offer roses? Yes, we do. What kinds of roses do you offer? These colors. You know, those are very basic questions that you don't really need a human being to answer. And frankly, the customer is okay with not a human being answering. And in that case, it's got to be very easy to hand off to a human being if something gets more complicated. But where I see bots actually having a much bigger impact is in helping agents rather than customers. And so bear with me for just a second. But if you go into a call center and you see an agent, generally what's going to happen is you're going to be sitting in front of probably three different screens. They're going to have all of these hacks that they've developed. They're going to have, you know, to post-it notes and they'll have different word files open that they can copy and paste answers and it is the most confusing thing that you've ever seen and if you had essentially a watson sitting next to you that basically took the customer's question found the answer and then allowed the human agent to have a human conversation with the customer so basically they don't have to do anything other than talk to the customer it's a great experience for the agent and it's a great experience for the customer. So imagine if that extends then to you calling a company and you don't have to wait on hold. You don't have to have the person say, hold on a minute while I go look that up. They've got a bot right next to them that does all that for them. So the bot is actually listening to the customer at the same time you are and providing kind of ancillary information to help the agent do their job. Exactly. That's and, pretty and cool. Then, <laughs> yeah, I think that is going to end up where, where bots are going to be most helpful um, because there's a limit to basic questions, right? I mean, at some point you need to talk to a human in, in almost any company and what, it, what would be a really bad idea would be for companies to try to replace humans with bots in that case in an attempt to save money because you're going to absolutely ruin the experience sort of like I had with the flowers. Well, I'm guessing when we're talking about social customer care, we're mostly talking about Facebook and Twitter. Is that correct? That is correct. Although, um, absolutely, it's moving to Messenger, as you mentioned, just like or or, or uh, Twitter DM, just like right. um, the you know other pieces are. And there is service that happens in other channels. There's some interesting examples of small companies that are using um, Snapchat. Uh, which is really interesting because you add this visual element to it. And uh, there's a great uh, company called Iographer that was at Social Media Marketing World. And uh, and the owner has an example that he shared with me where one of his customers had a had two different cables plugged into the wrong ports. And 
as soon as they connected on Snapchat and he could see what was going on, he solved the problem. And he said it would have taken way longer on the phone to figure that problem out. So I do think that there are some opportunities there. But short answer, yes. Uh, Twitter first and then Facebook second in the U.S. And then outside the U.S., it's reverse. It tends to be Facebook first and then Twitter. Okay, so um, when we think about Twitter and Facebook, we're mostly thinking about people posting things on our wall or tweeting us or private messaging us, um, you know, DMs and and Facebook messages and stuff. So um, I want to transition into like tools and apps that can make it easier for the social team, whether they are marketers or care people or whatever, you know, to to better manage um, these kinds of inquiries. Because depending on what they're selling, I would imagine the inquiries can come in, you know, slowly or they can come in rapidly depending on sales and specials and stuff like that. So let's get into the apps. What are some software tools or plugins or whatever you want to call it that can help make the job of uh, someone who's doing social care uh, better? Sure. Well, if you're a small company or you're a solopreneur, or you're the, you know, single social media person at a company you may be just fine with some of the free subscription companies that are out there like a Buffer or a Hootsuite, a Sprout Social, even using TweetDeck. Um, because what you really need there is the ability to search and, you know, for references to your brand um, and perhaps for other keywords that you've identified. Now, what those won't do is they won't really help you put responses into a queue or in any way prioritize. So, you know, you get a tweet from Mike Stelzner and you may want to put him at the top as a VIP to answer him more quickly. And those tools are not going to let you do that, but they will find the questions for you. As you get a little bit deeper and a little bit of a bigger company, you start to face a choice of what I call all-in-one enterprise solutions, which are both publishing platforms and customer service platforms, and then dedicated customer service providers, which really all they do is social care. And there's pros and cons to both of these. But, you know, just to throw out some names that you're probably familiar with, but in the all-in-one world, you've got the um, Sprinklers and Spreadfast and Salesforce, Adobe, Percolate, those types of companies. Uh, and then it, when you get to dedicated customer service, you're talking more about Converse Social, Spark Central, uh, lith- uh, lithium, and then there's one called Brand Embassy, which is out of the UK. And again, there's pros and cons, but the basic difference is that the all-in-ones, almost all of them, I think all of them, started off as publishing platforms. So they really have a marketing bent to them, and the idea is around putting out content. And then they all sort of realized at the same time, but holy cow, there's a lot of content coming in at us as well, and we have to be able to sort it and and respond to it and do something. The dedicated service providers basically said, we don't even want to be in the publishing business. All we want to do is handle care. And especially with Converse Social and Spark Central, um, who are talked about a lot in my book, they were built literally from a call center agent's point of view. So the, the way that they queue things up makes a lot of sense to a call center agent. It's much like an IVR might direct 
people on the telephone, except it's all automated. So, so IVR, that's hear, in, interactive voice or something like that? Is that what? I, yeah, sorry. IVR is interactive voice response. Press one for this, press two for this. Right. In social, you don't need to press one or press two. It can basically read the keywords and say, oh, this person used the word emergency. <laughs> Let's push him up to the VIP list you know, and answer that one first. Um, so you can do things like that, which is, um, you know, immensely helpful for prioritizing, especially when you're at a big brand and you're seeing thousands, tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of mentions, and you got to figure out which ones you're going to address first. Okay. Let me ask a couple questions here. Um, uh, going back to the basics, I know that there's a number of inexpensive tools that you mentioned. What about Facebook itself? Um, I know that Facebook, at least in the last six months has come out with on the desktop, a pretty cool way to um, respond to people. And I think they even put a little moniker on your Facebook page that says they respond within X amount of time. Is Facebook itself worth using for the really small business if predominantly they're getting inquiries coming through Facebook? I'm just curious on that. Yeah, absolutely. I think, I mean, for the small businesses, it's absolutely fine. It's when you get to to higher volumes that you can't, um, they either you don't want to answer only in chronological order, which is basically what you're going to have to do in the Facebook and Twitter native apps, or you get to such a volume that you can't answer everybody and you need to be able to sift things out. But absolutely, I think for a small company, it's totally fine to man your Facebook page and uh, and respond directly. Now, um, I know, for example, I know that native Facebook uh, does allow you, I believe, to respond privately to someone who posts something publicly on your page. And I'm pretty sure Twitter allows the same. So I think it's a lot easier now to kind of bring a public conversation private on those platforms. Does that seem to jive with what you, um, you've heard as well? Yeah, and it's a good approach um, if the conversation needs to be private. So you know, what you don't want to do is answer every single person who asks every single question with the same response that says, please DM us and we'll be happy to help you. Because a lot of times people are asking questions that other people have the same question, right? right? Um, you know, does your product do this? Or how do I, you know, make your product, you know, solve this problem or whatever it is. And those are questions you want to answer in public because you want other people to see. And not only do, do they see that you're good at providing service, but you also might be solving a problem for somebody else, which I think is sort of a double benefit. Where you really have to take things offline is where you start to get into privacy concerns. And having worked now 15 years in financial services and healthcare, that is near but not dear to my heart because it can be quite frustrating. But as soon as you start talking about personal information, bank account information, really any health information, that's when you do have to take it offline. And Facebook and Twitter have figured that out and have made it as easy as possible to do that. Now, when we go from the uh, native tools built into Twitter and Facebook to some of the other tools like Hootsuite, and then to some of these bigger tools that you're talking about that are all-in-one solutions, what do these all-in-one solutions provide on the customer care side um, like just for those of us that have no clue, like, do they provide the ability to assign it to various people? I mean, talk me through a little bit about what they do at that level. I'm just curious. 
Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's a that's a key thing you want to avoid uh, collisions with multiple agents, right? There have been cases where people have received two different responses from the same brand and they're saying different things, right? That's a that's a no-no. So being able to assign or to have agents be able to claim certain posts and say, hey, I'm working on this, because it might take them a while to go research the answer or whatever, but you know, to to allow Jane to grab that uh, tweet or grab that post and say, this is mine, I'll handle it, that's one thing. Um, I think the prioritization piece is another, and that's really key as you get to really any volume is just, you wanna be able to identify people that seriously need help right now um, you know, think of an airline and think of the difference between somebody that is, you know, that wants to know the price of the flight from Chicago to L.A. versus someone that's standing in O'Hare in a snowstorm and their flight just got canceled and they're stranded. Like, you want to answer both of those people, but if you only have the capacity to answer one at a time, I think it's obvious which one you want to hit first. And so the the bigger platforms will allow you to start doing that by identifying keywords, identifying people, you know, again, I, I the, the example of of you, right? Somebody that that uh, that that knows that you are who you are and that you're influential in social media might might put a little note on your account that says, "Hey, put that guy up to the top no matter what he asks." And those platforms will allow you to do that. Um and so they make things easier as you scale, but they're not but, you know, they're, they're yet another platform and more money for the company. And so it's not something that you have to do on day one. But as you grow and as you scale, it becomes really, really helpful in handling this. For the, for the business who has a lot of inquiries, but they're not a big business, do you recommend that they go um, right to some of these dedicated customer care programs or apps instead of trying to go for these maybe super expensive all-in-ones? I'm just curious. Well, what's interesting is that the dedicated ones may end up more expensive than the all-in-ones because you generally still want a publishing platform. And so, you you know, at, at Discover, for example, we ended up with two platforms. We ended up with a publishing platform and a service platform. That was important to me because I wanted a best-in-class pr- platform for both, uh, but it was more expensive than doing an all-in-one. The all-in-ones are popular because it is a single platform, and um, and they are getting a lot better at customer service, having started in the publishing area. And so I think that all-in-ones make a ton of sense for a lot of companies because especially if you're dealing with an IT team and you know security and risk and all these approvals in big companies, like you don't want to go through that twice. That's a pain in the neck. So um, either one, they're both great, and they're they're both doing really good things. It depends on what you're need is, particularly how much you're publishing. If you are publishing a lot, and especially if you're doing paid, then that publishing platform becomes a lot more important. Um, And speaking of paid, one of the uh, things I should have answered in the last question was that when you have these uh, dark posts that are, you know, promoted posts that are not in your feed, those also receive lots of customer service inquiries. And um, using some of these platforms beyond the native platforms makes it a lot easier to see those as well. Because after all, if you're just going through your own feed, you're not going to see a dark post. So, um, yeah. And for those that don't know what he means by dark posts, it's pretty much any ad, you know, that you publish. It's, it's not as easy to see those things, surprisingly, unless you happen to come across them, or at least it hasn't been in the past. And when people ask questions, right, you want to be able to respond. Is that what I hear you saying? 
Exactly right. I mean, I know on, on Twitter, for example, you have a choice to say, do you want this to appear in your feed or not? And if you choose no, then it never appears in your feed, but it's an ad. So it's showing up in other people's feeds and they may be responding to it. And you, you know, and in Facebook, that's more of a problem because they could be responding right on that ad and you need to be able to still see that and, and answer them. And as I said at the beginning, the more money you put into paid, the more responses you're going to get. Um, and that's just a, I mean, that, I don't know if it's exactly linear, but it's pretty darn close. How do these, how do these services, uh, on the, on the dedicated care side price out? Is it based on the number of agents? Is it based on the number of fans that you have? Is it kind of all over the map? It's usually seat based, seat license based. Um, it can, uh, also be based on volume. It, it doesn't matter how many fans you have, but it matters the incoming volume, right? How many, um, how many pieces you're responding to. Um, but most of the ones I've seen charge you on a seat license basis. Is there any cool little ninja things that they can do that we, we may not realize or things that we should look for when shopping for something like this? So Spark Central, which is one of the dedicated service platforms that I mentioned before, has a really cool feature called Boomerang, which allows you to go back to a conversation automatically and follow up with the customer. So imagine you tweet at a brand and say, hey, I'd like to buy flowers for my wife's birthday next week. Wouldn't it be something if, besides from answering your question right now, if next week they wrote back to you and said, hey, Mike, tell your wife happy birthday? You'd be like, wow, that's really cool. Um, or you know, the, the same functionality could simply look at your profile and see if your birthday is included, if you put it on there and put a note in the system to automatically send you a tweet on your birthday to say, th- to say happy birthday. Um, it's, it's a neat little, you asked for a ninja trick, it's a neat little way to kind of come back to people later when they don't expect it because they expect it when you tweet at a brand, customers expect a response immediately, but they certainly don't expect you to come back weeks, even months later and still remember you. And it's a really, I mean, people are amazed when they see it. Awesome. Let's transition over to um, some tips on how to empower the people that are serving customers uh, on social media. What can we do to enable people to better um, service our customers and prospects? Well, you know, your audience is certainly aware of uh, what happened recently with a major airline and a video that went viral of a man being dragged off it. And what that brought to light was that the employees of that airline, both on the ground and in the plane, were simply not empowered enough to solve the problem. The problem was they were overbooked and they had to get somebody off the plane. Clearly, the way that it was solved was not the way that even United wanted it solved. And there was a lot of discussions about, well, you know, we offered them as much money as we could and, you know, and we hit a limit. And you want to believe that rational people would say to themselves, I have a feeling the boss is going to be okay with me spending an extra couple hundred bucks if it avoids calling the police and dragging this person off the plane, right? But for whatever reason, those employees didn't feel empowered to do that. So it's a good lesson to companies to, to make sure that when you put people in a role of care, and this goes for any channel, it, it's not just a social thing. When you put someone in a role where they're supposed to care for customers, you have to give them the ability to care for customers. Now, that doesn't mean that you necessarily allow them to go crazy. Um, although some brands like Zappos, for example, empowers 
you know, their agents to order pizzas and, and, you know, buy items from competitors if they don't have it in stock and, you know, all sorts of stuff that, that probably a lot of other brands would not be comfortable with. But you do have to have this basic level. And so the best way to do that, first of all, is to be really direct with um, the people that are handling customer care and say, this is what you can do. And this is here's the here's the guardrails. Right. Sometimes that's a dollar amount. Um, sometimes that's an ability to, um, you know, ignore a policy or, you know, or, or change a rule or something like that. Uh, make an exception. Um, but the important part is that you document this and you walk through examples with people who are handling customers um, ahead of time so that you say, hey, this is what ha-, and I'm sure you, the uh, airline in question is doing this now. You know, this is what happens when you have an overbooked flight and no one volunteers. Like that's a scenario that probably wasn't that hard to predict. Um, and so setting out those scenarios, writing them down and then sharing them and saying, hey, this is what you're allowed to do in this case um, is I think is really the answer. And, you know, although this airline, uh, you know, had some problems in their responses, I think where they ultimately got to was a series of steps that they were going to take that if you read them, there were 10 steps. A lot of them are about empowering their employees and making sure that those employees know that, you know, before that, you know, what hits the fan, just solve the problem. You're not going to get fired. You're not going to get in trouble. Just solve the problem for the customer. Yeah. And I think that, uh, businesses that have a physical business, uh, where there's actual customers, you know, either on the plane or in the venue or whatever, uh, more than ever are starting to freak out a little bit because every single person has a camera in their pocket, right? They're all the media now, right? So with the flip of a button, <laughs> you're all of a sudden live on Facebook or Twitter and potentially the whole world could see your ugly little mess. So I think people need to take this very seriously, right? Because some people are going to say, oh, I'm not an airline. It doesn't matter for me. Well, it could it could be just as big of a deal for your local uh, restaurant or hotel or whatever. You know, it could always lead to PR nightmares. So I think that there's a good lesson there. Um, you also, Dan... You threw out the word proactive, and I wanted to get into this because I know in your book, you talk about this concept of proactive care, and I would love you to kind of talk about what that concept is and what is it, you know, that we can do proactively to try to prevent, you know, problems from blowing up. Well, I think where proactive care really starts is anticipating people's needs and responding to them before they even ask. So great example, I had um, a a woman from Duke Energy on my podcast. She also spoke at Social Media Marketing World. And Duke Energy is the largest utility in the country. It's also a monopoly. So their customers literally have nowhere else to go to. And what they've decided to do in social is proactively tell people when they think their power is going to go out. They basically will say, they'll tweet and they'll post on Facebook, look, big storm coming. We may have some problems tonight. If your power goes out, don't worry. We, we're watching it, and we will take care of it you know, as quickly as we can. And what she told me was that that has engendered so much loyalty and trust from customers because they say things like, Duke Energy's watching my back. They, you know, they're taking care of me, and I know they've got it. And the best thing is, is when that storm does hit and the power does go out, their phones aren't lighting up off the hook and their Twitter feed isn't going nuts because they've gotten out in front of it and they've told people ahead of time and they and, and customers trust them. So that's a great way. 
I mean, and look, every company's got a website. Okay, right? now hold on a second, because I know some people are saying, all right, that's an act of God, and that's a situation where, of course, I could proactively get ahead, but what if it's, what if we know that we're creating a problem that could cause problems to customers? The last thing we're going to want to do is tell them that we're about to cause a problem for you. <laughs> so, well, and so that's, and that is absolutely where companies have trouble. I use the website example because I think almost every company has experienced this at some point. Your website goes down. It's out for five minutes. It's out for five hours, Right. If your website is down for an extended period of time, first of all, you're going to figure that out probably from social media. Those right. are going to be the first people that are going to tell you or, or get through to you to tell you that your website's down. If you can't get that website back up in a matter of minutes or your IT department is telling you this is going to take us a little while to figure it out, there's absolutely nothing wrong with putting a post out there saying, we know our website's down, we're working on it. Hmm. Because what that does is it stems the tide of incoming messages you know, as more and more people try to hit your site and get an error, then more and more people are calling you and tweeting at you and posting on your Facebook page. And if you can stem that tide by getting out in front of it and saying, we know it's down, I think that's really good. Now, a PR person is going to tell you, be careful with that. We don't want that to reflect poorly on our brand. Um, you know, especially if the company's had a number of website outages recently, you know, there is, especially big companies, you will get some pushback, but I still maintain that as a, that it's a best practice. And that again, it causes people to trust you because you're not pretending that the website isn't down. <laughs> you know, you're not, um, you're not giving them some robotic answer that doesn't address the problem. So, um, that is, that's one way to be proactive, but there's lots of other ways too. I mean, think about a, um, a clothing company. Um, and let's just hypothetically use the gap just because I wanted to name somebody, but I, you know, I'm, I'm only naming them because it's what came to mind. You know, it's one thing for the Gap to respond to customers that at mention the Gap and say, "Hey, you know, at Gap, uh, you know, my new jeans ripped the first time I I wore them. What can you do for me?" But being proactive, what the Gap could do is actually look for all conversations about blue jeans, regardless of whether they're mentioning the Gap, because somebody else who has a pair of ripped blue jeans, Gap or not Gap, may be interested in hearing from the Gap brand who could help solve that problem as well, or perhaps convert that person into a new customer. Now, some companies troll their competitors' posts, and I, I really caution against that because I think that is a I think that can get you in some trouble. But I do think that you can absolutely look for conversations about the industry that you're in or about the products that you sell and insert yourself into that uh, conversation in order to provide help. Maybe instead of being the jeans being ripped, somebody has a stain and they don't know how to get the stain out. Can you imagine if the gap jumps in and says, Hey, we know how to get, we know a lot, a lot of things about blue jeans. Here's how to get that stain out. And the person never even mentioned the gap. I've seen that. I've seen that in the hospitality space too. Like I've heard of stories and I can't think off the top of my head of hotel chains and cities where people are looking for restaurants to stay at. And the hotel will just be a concierge for anyone in that city and will say, hey, this here's a couple that you might want to check out. And they're just doing it because um, they know that people that are uh, looking for restaurants might be tourists and 
it might be smart for them to do that. I mean, that's kind of the same thing, isn't it, that you're just talking about? Absolutely. I think you're probably thinking of Hilton, which I think pioneered that with a concierge program that yes. that does just that. And and they managed to get a lot of employee volunteers to, you know, who, who love their own cities that they w- live and work in and, and kind of want to be tour guides. And yeah, that's a fantastic program. And uh, again, you don't have to be huge to do this. Um, in fact, if you are a company that doesn't get a lot of mentions on social media, this is a way to get yourself into more conversations instead of just sitting around waiting for people to talk to you. Well, Dan, first of all, thank you so much for sharing all your awesome wisdom and insight. Why don't you tell people where they can discover your brand new book, Winning at Social Customer Care, and where they can discover more about your podcast and everything else you've got going on? Well, thanks again for having me on the show. I really appreciate it. Uh, Winning at Social Customer Care is available on Amazon in both paperback and uh, Kindle formats. Uh, the Focus on Customer Service podcast is available wherever you like to listen to podcasts. And I am most often on Twitter at dgingis. It's D-G-I-N-G-I-S-S. Uh, you can also hit me up on LinkedIn if you'd like. And I have a website that kind of goes along with the book um, and, and integrates the book and the podcast and my blog and everything. And it's called winningatsocial.com. So uh, be happy if you come visit me there. And uh, listen, I practice what I preach. So if you come talk to me on uh, Twitter, especially, you will get a response and you'll get one quickly. Awesome. Dan Gingas, thank you so much for coming on the show and sharing your insight and knowledge with us. I appreciate it, Mike. Thanks for having me. Well, I hope you found a lot of value in today's interview. If there was any of those tools that you missed, don't worry. Simply go to socialmediaexaminer.com slash 254, 254. Also, hit the subscribe button on your podcast player so you never miss a future episode of this podcast. This brings us to the end of yet another episode of the Social Media Marketing Podcast. I'm your host, Michael Stelzner. I'll be back with you in the driver's seat next week. I hope you make the absolute best out of your day. And may social media continue to change your world. The Social Media Marketing Podcast is a production of Social Media Examiner. Hey, just a quick reminder, join the Social Media Marketing Society today and level up your marketing for your company or your clients. Visit smmarketingsociety.com to find out more.